Good morning and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog Rodney is beside me as usual. And today I'm welcoming, welcoming back my friend Scott Tudor as we close out our bracket challenge on the greatest wrestlers of the 80s and 90s. And today we're doing our bracket challenge on the greatest middleweight wrestlers in that period. So today we're going to talk about guys like Ric Flair, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Sting, Ravishing Rick Rude, Randy Macho Man Savage, and more. So, Scott, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Good morning, Ben. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, the last few episodes have been awesome. I'm ready to dig into this one. Yeah, no, I, we got a big action-packed show, and we appreciate all of our listeners listening to our tag team bracket and our um, our heavyweight bracket. We got a lot of good feedback from the fans, a lot of interesting debates, and uh, that's what wrestling fans like to do. We've, we're very passionate about um, our, our wrestlers in this industry. So let's first uh, talk about the bracket that we're going to have, and then we'll get to the action. We got a 64-man bracket uh, consisting of four brackets. We've got um, our first bracket headed by Ric Flair. He's the number one seed in that bracket. Um, the top four seeds in that bracket are Ric Flair, Kerry Von Erich, the modern-day warrior, Jerry the King Lawler, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. The next bracket, we have Sting as the number one seed, with Randy Macho Man Savage as the two seed, Ravishing Rick Rude as the three seed, and Kurt Angle as the four seed. Our next bracket, we have Bret Hart as the number one seed, Roddy Piper as the number two seed, Chris Benoit as the number three seed, and the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase as the four seed. And our last bracket, we have the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels as the one seed, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning as the two seed, Scott Hall as the three seed, and Arn Anderson as the four seed. So, a lot of great matchups. So, Scott, let's get started with our first bracket in a matchup of the Nature Boys. We have the Nature Boy Ric Flair versus the Nature Boy Buddy Landell. And the only thing I can say to start this off is, woo! So, take it away. What's your, what's your take on this matchup? All right, Ric Flair versus Buddy Landell. This this would be a classic matchup in the mid '80s. Uh, this would been had a good build up to it, but no question in my mind, the one and only Nature Boy, to me, my opinion only, Ric Flair goes by Buddy Landell on this one. I I agree, and you know what was interesting is in the mid to late '80s, like '86, '87. The NWA, they were wanting to have a big – they had a series of matchups in, with Ric Flair and Buddy Landell as the Battle of the Nature Boys. And according to Jim Cornette, there was even talk that they were wanting to um, maybe have Flair drop the belt to Landell for a little bit of time because Landell was really good, but Landell just wasn't reliable. And, I mean, literally they had like a big match. And according to what Jim Cornette or some of the podcast guys were saying, maybe it was Jim Ross – I mean, he just one day he just didn't show up, and they sent somebody out there. I think J.J. Dillon sent somebody out there to Landell's place, and he was just not in a condition to go, and just didn't show up. And so they fired him. I mean, he, and he really hurt a, a good run he could have had. So, but yeah, no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts in this. So uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair is one of the true icons of of this era, one of the greatest wrestlers ever, and um, we're definitely going to move him on. So. Ric Flair moves on in this bracket. Next matchup is 
Rob Van Dam versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Now, this is going to be a fantastic high-flying technical match. So what's your take on these two wrestlers? So I think a lot of it depends on when and where this one is booked, just like a lot of these uh, depend on. This is my opinion only, and keep in mind for our listeners, whenever we make picks, this is for our opinion. I am going to go with Rob Van Dam in a very, very exciting match, especially if this takes place around 96, 97. It would, uh, they would bring the house down with a lot of high-flying, quick chain wrestling uh, action and, and suicide dives, etc. This, These two guys are two that, that brought that type of wrestling mainstream in my mind. Uh, with Rob Van Dam in early ECW, and then when he come over to WWE, and then also Ray in Triple uh, X, and uh, he did a short stint in ECW, and then also he came over to WCW for a while, and and really got was a big name of the cruiserweights, which I thought WCW did a fantastic job. Yeah, and I, I agree. I'd go with Rob Van Dam on this too. I I just thought he was a an amazing wrestler. He's he's bigger than Mysterio, um, and he has just the the same amount of aerial. I mean, both great technical wrestlers. I mean, Mysterio though, I really did like him and still like him to this day. I mean, he was this you know smaller guy that was able to really deliver in the ring and show that the the smaller guys can can perform with these bigger guys. But I just think Rob Van Dam, especially in ECW, he was just so amazing that I, I would vote for him as well. Agreed. And one thing I do want to give a shout out to Ray Mysterio about is back in 96, 97, when he was doing all that, I, I to my friends, I probably made this statement to you at Murray. Is these guys, there's no way they can sustain a long career. Well, Mysterio's proved me wrong because he's still doing it 20, 25 years later and basically doing the same kind of thing. So shout out to Ray for that. Yeah. All right, so Rob Van Dam moves on in this this uh, bracket. Next matchup, uh, Jimmy Superfly Snuka versus Pedro Morales. And uh, a throwback to early 80s superstars in, in the WWF. Um, I personally love Jimmy Superfly Snuka. I think he was a one of my favorite wrestlers. I mean, one of the first wrestlers. Really the first one that I remember jumping off the top rope um you know that matchup he had with morocco and uh, madison square garden in the cage was epic um and pedro morales for a lot of fans who may be newer to wrestling they may not know that name but he was a real big star for wwf in the the late 70s early 80s and uh intercontinental title holder which snooka actually never held a title in wwf but pedro morales was a, a very important star and one of the first um uh, Latin stars in wrestling as well. So what's your take on Snooker and Morales? I think if this one was booked in the seventies, you would have to go with Morales. Uh, he was wildly popular back then. Uh, he kind of brought a different style and, and, you know, definitely some diversity uh, in the early days, but Snooker, I think for mainstream, I mean, he was really a part of the whole rock and wrestling and a huge part of WrestleMania one. And, you know, he and Andre doing the tag team matches in the early 80s where he would jump off of Andre's shoulders onto the opponents. I think Snooker goes by on this one. I think he wins. And uh, I think it was probably going to be a good match, though. I think it would be booked booked well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Snooker going over here. I, I was just a bigger fan of him. Um, but I, I just think he was a bigger star. And, you know, that whole rock and wrestling thing, he was a big part of that and on the show. Yep. And I... 
and Morales really, he, I don't even think he was in the first, I don't, he wasn't in the first WrestleMania. Um, so by the time that WrestleMania started to hit in 85 and 86, he was kind of on his, uh, the downward part of his career. And I think Snuka was just a bigger star. So we're moving on Jimmy Snuka. All right, next matchup. This is actually one of my favorite matchups in this whole bracket. We have Ricky Steamboat versus Rick Martel. Talk about these two guys. So this is one, just like uh, our previous episode, I'm kind of mad at you for booking right off the bat because these two guys uh, both deserve to move on. Uh, this would be a dynamite matchup. I'm not sure that this matchup didn't happen back in the day, back when Rick uh, was the model Martel and you had Ricky the Dragon uh, both over in WWF because they were both around the mid-card stars, like circling around the Intercontinental belt. Uh, I think that, that that probably did happen. But I think, uh, as we have previously spoke, that Martel was not pushed enough like he could have been. He was very talented, very good tag team wrestler, very good singles wrestler, good athlete, great heel. He made you hate him, and that's exactly what a heel's job is to do. However, with all those accolades going to Martel, I'm putting Steamboat over here because he was wildly popular and just super talented and had so many five-star matches. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I love both of them, and the reason why I paired them together is just I've got a battle of you know, a Rick versus a Rick. But I think they were both very similar wrestlers in that both technically sound, both had great bodies, good looks. Um, I, I mean, Steamboat had more of an aerial a game. But uh, I really like both of them. But, man, Steamboat just had some of the most classic matches ever in um, in that 80s period with his battle with Randy Macho Man Savage in WrestleMania three, which is in many cases regarded as one of the, the best matches ever. It had classic matchups with Ric Flair. Um, you know, many 60-minute broadways are, are pretty close to it. And he was always a guy that you could just count on for a good, solid match, as you could with Martell. It's just I think that Steamboat was a bigger star. Agreed. So that's why um, I agree with your decision to move Ricky Steamboat on in this matchup. All right, our next matchup is Kevin Von Erich versus Tito Santana, and another battle of two guys who are just you know really sound wrestlers, and I would say more more mid card. I mean, and world class. You know, obviously Kevin Von Erich was a huge star there, along with Kerry uh, and David Von Erich, and world-class and Tito Santana was one of the really popular stars for WWE and the, uh, and w, I'll say WWF in the early eighties, former two, uh, two time intercontinental champion, great tag wrestler. Um, so I, I think this would be a fantastic matchup. What's your take on a uh, Kevin Von Erich versus Tito Santana? 12 year old me and 13 year old me would be totally excited for this match. I'm, uh, I love this matchup. I think these two guys could have went, now, you know, you and I both know we're both kind of a, a encyclo walking encyclopedias for wrestling. I am not sh I don't think this one ever took place because Kevin never really came over to WWF. Right. Uh, but I I'm with you on the on the matchup. They're both equal in the ring. They're both very talented. I think Kevin could have been successful in WWF. I don't think he would have ever been like a uh I'm not sure he would have got the success that his brother got. But, no. but I think this matchup would have taken place and it would have been dynamite. I, Tito in the early to mid eighties, awesome athlete underrated. I think that he should have got pushed more than he got pushed. Very similar to Rick Martel. Uh, 
unfortunately, with me bragging on Tito, I'm going to pull for Kevin Von Erich on this one. Are you going with Kevin Von Erich? I am. All right. You know, I kind of struggle with this matchup as well. Uh, I, I'm going to agree with you to move Kevin Von Erich along because I think these guys are, are really close, and I think you, know, you could flip a coin. I mean, half the people we poll could would say – Kevin and half would say Tito. It depends on where you grow up. If you're in Texas, you're saying uh, Kevin Von Erich, or right. uh, if you're WWF territory, you're going with Tito because you may not really know that much about Kevin Von Erich. But I'm going with Kevin Von Erich just because the Von Erichs were so over in Texas. I mean, they were like rock stars. And I don't think that Tito ever had that level of popularity, though he was very popular. And Kevin Von Erich was a great athlete. Uh, you know, putting good matches with the Freebirds and Ric Flair. Um, I He didn't have the career I thought he was ultimately going to have due to injuries. So really, when you get a, like 87 and 88, he's kind of winding down his career. But um, so someone arguing for Tito could say Tito had a, a longer career. But I agree with Kevin Von Erich moving along here in a very tough matchup. And I will say Tito was one of my favorite LJN rubber wrestling figures. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love that figure. I regularly match him up with my Greg the Hammer Valentine Absolutely. Uh, figure and yep. Paul Longworth. All right, so next matchup. This is a legendary battle from the Memphis Territory. Jerry the King Lawler versus Austin Idol. I'll be honest, I, I've really spent a lot of time this week um, researching more of Austin Idol because I didn't know that much about him. And I was also researching more of uh, Jerry Lawler because, I mean, I, I'm more familiar with Lawler's work when he battled Kerry Von Erich and when he battled, um, you know, in WWE. But um, that match I watched was um, a 1987 cage match. It was a hair versus hair match. And Austin Idol actually won because Tommy Rich came out from under the ring and they started beating up Lawler. And Paulie Dangerously was the manager as well. <laughs> so, uh and, and Lawler lost. But I will say, in all the Lawler matches I watched, I didn't see a whole lot of scientific wrestling going on. I saw a lot of punches and yeah. just a brawler. And, I mean, he could, his punches were really good, though. I mean, he, he was really good. But, you know, Austin Idol was a big, strong guy, had charisma. Um, it was a lot of fun. They had that crowd into the match at Mid-South Coliseum, and I know you were a big Memphis fan, so talk about the uh, these two guys and that heated rivalry. So I, I've actually seen this match several times in and out. Uh, they would bring Idol back in, and Lawler and Idol would go at it, and then, of course, that story would kind of start losing heat, so uh, Idol would go to a different territory, and then Lawler would match up with someone else. But uh, this matchup went on from, man, off and on from the early 80s to the late 80s, maybe even the early 90s. Uh, between these two guys, and I love them both. I, Austin Idol was probably one of my first bad guys that I really liked. Uh, I thought he was great, as you, you know, to copy off you a little bit, you talked about his charisma and things like that. I mean, he, he was had big arms. He was, you know, muscular, especially for that time in that territory. He wasn't a very tall guy, but neither was Lawler. And uh, they just... Man, they had the Memphis fans eating out of their hands, like you said, and it, it was just a good battle. However, I have to give the match to Lawler because I think Lawler was more significant to the wrestling world as a whole. Uh, but that, that's a great matchup, and I love both guys. Yeah, I, 
I agree with moving Lawler along here. I just think he was um, he was so critical to that Memphis territory for a long time. And you know, one of the real great um, great pr- uh, promotion guys. Um, I mean, would give a great promo. He had good psychology in the ring, and it was interesting with Lawler because you look at his physique. He just looks like a regular guy. Right. I mean, he, he was not a muscular guy. And um, so it's kind of amazing that he was able to get that kind of push. <laughs> so I agree with moving uh, Jay Lawler along in this matchup. I think Lawler became popular before it was popular to be muscled up, like the big muscled up push that WWF gave, WCCW gave, AWA gave, uh, and uh, in some ways uh, later on NWA pushed. But I think Lawler captured that popularity before that became popular, and then he kind of carried it over. But I agree. When I was a kid, I thought Lawler, a young, young kid, I thought Lawler was a superhero. And then when I started discovering like uh, Hogan's and Orndorff's and Rick Rude's and people like that, I was like, man, Lawler looks terrible. They they would beat him up. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. And, you know, really, if you think about because Jerry Lawler, he, I mean, so he was born, I think, in 1949. He's actually the same age as Ric Flair. So if you think about it, by the time, by, by the 90s, he was already fit 40 years old. But once he got to the WWF, like in 93, he really wasn't that big of a star. He had, he had some battles with Bret Hart, but, I mean, he wasn't battling for the championship, and he was coming in as a commentator, and kind of his, his style really – um, became more of a comedic wrestler. Right. I, I did like the the part where he had um, the ECW invasion and he had the the rivalries going on there. Oh yeah. Um, but I mean, he, you know, his promos were great, and obviously as an announcer, he was amazing with uh, Jim Ross, and still does a great job um, today on on Raw. So I I think uh, you know his contributions to the wrestling world. I mean, are are definitely in the top 20 overall. I mean, probably higher, but, you know, a real significant person in the world of professional wrestling. Agreed. All right, our next matchup, this is a doozy right here. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff versus Rick Steiner. You got two guys about the same size at 5'10", five, 5'11", five, five, um, uh, height, 250, you know, built solid. I think Wonderful, Mr. Wonderful had the better physique, but, boy, rough and tough guys. Um, I think this is a, a great matchup. I'm I'm big fans of both guys. So, uh, what's your take on uh, Paul Orndorff versus Rick Steiner? I would have loved to have seen uh, 1992 Rick Steiner versus a 1986 Paul Orndorff. I think when Orndorff went uh, over to WCW in the early 90s, he was already kind of past his prime. Uh, this matchup may have taken place somewhere down the road there. Uh, but Steiner was more of the tag team guy. I loved the Steiners, as as the listeners know from the previous uh, episodes. But I think this would have been a great, great matchup. And I hate that this matchup is together. Again, this is another one that's hard for me to pick because 1986-1987 me loved Mr. Wonderful. And 1992-1998 loved Rick Steiner. So it, it's a tough one to choose. But I think in a singles matchup, I got to go with Mr. Wonderful. I agree, and that's um, at first I thought you were going to go with Steiner there, and I was going to come back with the argument that you just made. I think if you're looking at the singles career, you got to give it to Orndorff. Um, you know, he was a, a multi 
multi-time uh, title holder. And even he was a significant figure in those uh, Georgia Championship wrestling periods as well before going to the WWF and battling with Hogan and, uh, you know, a great, great wrestler. And the thing with Orndorff that a lot of people may forget, he suffered an, a bicep injury in a big run with Hogan like in 86 and 87, and he had to take some time off, and that really affected him. Um, but I just thought he was a great wrestler, but I really liked Rick Steiner as a singles guy too. I mean, in those late eighties when he was battling for the TV titles and was a holder of that and he would go against Arn Anderson or whoever, I mean, a very technically sound wrestler, um, not necessarily the greatest promo, but I liked his gimmick of this dog face gremlin. Absolutely. Um, his battle with Kevin Sullivan in the varsity club was, uh, was really great. But ultimately I think when you, when I think of Rick Steiner, I think of his time with Scott Steiner and the Steiner brothers as that tag team. But I, I, overall, I think these guys are great, but I agree with moving Orndorff along here. Well, one more shout out to Orndorff. Don't forget that he main evented WrestleMania one with uh, Piper versus Hogan and Mr. T. Uh, he had a good matchup in WrestleMania two with Don the Rock Morocco as uh, a face. And uh, Orndorff, I, I've shouted this out once before, and a lot of people, especially like latecomer wrestling fans, don't know about the cage match between Orndorff and Hogan on that famous Saturday night's main event. One of the first cage matches where the two uh, combatants like had the whole photo finish at the end, and it was a great build-up, great feud. Unfortunately, like you alluded to, uh, Orndorff suffered that, uh, I think it was his right arm, actually, uh, bicep injury and they ended that feud man that and that feud was money oh yeah no it was a big time draw and and the thing with Orndorff as well he had great charisma I mean I remember my mom was a huge fan of Paul Orndorff because he was one of these first guys um you know moving on to and even into our next matchup we'll talk about another guy in that category you know, just had this great physique and was a big attraction for the women and, uh, you know, an overall good wrestler, good promo. So I, I really like Orndorff, and that's why we're moving him along here. Yep. All right, next matchup. A matchup of two more powerhouses. Kerry Von Erich, the modern-day warrior, versus Billy Jack Haynes. So for our regular listeners, they know I'm a huge Kerry Von Erich fan. He was actually my favorite wrestler uh, growing up. I loved him in those uh, world-class eras. You know, I loved his charisma, loved his figure. Um, that was kind of an inspiration for me to be in the gym. Uh, you know, I just thought he was a great wrestler. I loved his battles with the Freebirds. And and he was one of these kind of transformational wrestlers where, you know, when Kerry came along, he had this great figure. He was actually held the world record uh, for the discus throw and was going to go to the 80 Olympics uh, and represent the United States before that Olympics got canceled. But, um, I mean, a dynamite figure, and I, I, I was watching a bunch of his matches this week, um, just prepping for the show, and I just don't remember too many wrestlers that when they took off that robe, I mean, the women went wild, wild. And that's, it, when you think of the marketing of wrestling um, in that 80s, it, it started to transcend into that, where you had your Rick Rudes and, and stuff, and they started catering not just to the the guys like you and me and the 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 blue collar Joes, but they they were really trying to market to women. And I just thought Kerry was a great wrestler, and I think he's one of these guys that you kind of wonder what his 
career would have been if he hadn't had that motorcycle accident in 86 because he missed a year for that. And um, But before that, he could do everything in the ring, and I just thought he was fantastic. But Billy Jack Haynes was a guy that a lot of people didn't know about because he wrestled in the Oregon Territory. And honestly, the only mainstream I remember from Billy Jack Haynes is when he went to the WWF and battled Hercules in the full Nelson battle in WrestleMania three. I think he was a a great wrestler, but he didn't have the draw that Kerry Von Erich did. So my votes for Kerry in this one, what's your take on these two guys? So I think this is a great matchup, especially in the mid to late eighties. Both of these guys were superb athletes. Billy Jack was rugged, man. He was a tough, tough hombre. And, hey, he was built up, too, and very strong. I mean, the strength competition between him and Hercules was classic. The issue there is, is Billy Jack, I think, uh, from what I've read and what I've I've seen on podcasts and things like that, he got tied up in some some drugs and things like that, and it kind of cut his career short, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, Kerry, I'm going to give him an even further shout-out after the accident. Unless you really knew what was going on, you couldn't tell. You couldn't tell the guy, uh, you know, had a, a, uh, I, I guess what you'd call a, a fake foot or, or ever how you'd want to put that. I don't know what the medical term for that is, but uh, hey. he didn't lose a step. I mean, really. And unless you really paid attention, you couldn't tell. So shout yeah, out. I guess Harry the Bonner. thing with Carrie. Yeah, I guess the thing with Carrie is, um, and you know, he he had his issues too, and that's what caused his career to to not be what it was i mean because there was talk you know they were wanting to really try to give him a run with the title which he was a world champion he did beat rick flair in that 84 parade of champions in dallas and you know they kind of booked it as a as a kind of out of respect to david von eric passing away just before but i think he would have had a longer run if he had didn't have issues with drugs and he didn't have issues with um, reliability because that's what the NWA Board of Governors was really concerned about. They were like, you know, with Flair, and it's amazing if you think about it because when we, when we go back to Flair, they've been trying to phase – they were trying to phase Flair out starting in the mid-'80s, and that he just kept going and going and going right, and right. being a star. But, you know, Kerry had this look that was comparable to what Vince was pushing and WWE with Hogan and some of the more built guys, and they're like, you know what, this guy is more appealing in their opinion than Flair. But the bottom line is, when you were the the heavyweight champion in the NWA, you were going to all these territories. The travel was uh, very demanding. You had to be reliable, and a lot of the people on the board just didn't think Kerry was going to be um, as reliable in that regard. And that's why he had that short reign and didn't get it back. But you know, he was amazing. He could do uh, drop kicks and all the technical stuff. I mean, just superb. And I just think, you know, it's a shame that his career ended um, early due to drugs. But I just, he was so popular. And I just don't know of anybody other than maybe Hogan in that period that was more popular than Kerry Von Erich in that territory. And I, I don't recall, you know, I wasn't a, a Lawler because I didn't watch the the Memphis territory, so I know he had tremendous pop in Memphis. But you know, maybe those were the three top guys um, as far as their territory who were just red, red hot. Of course, with Ric Flair. And uh, one thing to keep in mind, and we can touch on this a little more later, but if Kerry didn't have his issues in WWF, 
I mean, think about it. He wasn't in WWF very long, and they threw the Intercontinental strap on him. I mean, that's saying right there that Vince liked him. So yeah. when Warrior started having his issues and started becoming the prima donna that, that apparently he was, I mean, Kerry was over there. So do, does Vince say, you know what, Warrior? That's fine. I'm going to put it on this dude and move Kerry Von Eric on up before you know he started struggling. If he would have held it together there right in that time frame. Yeah. No, I... I agree. It's always interesting. Uh, but uh, anyway, in this matchup, we're moving Kerry Von Eric along Agreed. with Billy Jack Haynes. So that completes the first round of this bracket with Ric Flair, Rob Van Dam uh, pairing up in the next matchup. Then you got Snooker versus Ricky Steamboat, Kevin Von Eric versus Jerry Lawler, and Paul Orndorff versus Kerry Von Eric. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go ahead and let's just finish out each bracket. That way we've got these wrestlers kind of in mind. And, um, then we'll move on to the next bracket. So, you got Ric Flair versus Rob Van Dam in a second round matchup. What's your, what's your take on that? Woo! This is going to be a good one here. This is a classic for the ages, man. Especially if you could take like a 1985 to 87 Flair versus like a 94, 95, uh, maybe even 96 RVD. Uh, man, these guys, well, and I think I'm off a little bit because I think RVD caught fire in WWE, what, 98-ish, 99? Yeah. Somewhere around I mean, Mr. Monday Night. Yeah. He had, a, he had a good run in the 2000s too, but I I mainly remember Rob Van Dam from his work in ECW, which was just amazing. Me too. That's that's where I discovered him. I always consider him an ECW guy. Uh, loved his style. I think that he and Flair could have uh, burned the house down uh, in their primes together, I think it would have been an excellent, fantastic match. Uh, but as far as significance to the world of professional wrestling goes, Ric Flair goes over here. He's just too too big of a household name, too many championships, too much of a legacy there. I agree. And um, I think this would be a fantastic match, though, because you've got two guys that could really go at it from a technical standpoint. And they also gave great emotion in their matches, and they got great reactions from the crowd. But I agree. I mean, Flair was just too dominant with the titles and being the man, as he liked to say. Um, so I agree with you, Ric Flair over Rob Van Dam. So I want to give a shout-out to RVD, though. I think that if you guys are not familiar, and this is the fans listening to us, if you're not familiar with the series in ECW between RVD and a guy by the name of Jerry Lynn, Please go back and watch that wrestling, that, those matches. That was a killer series. Yeah. All right. So Ric Flair moves on. This next matchup, this is a this is a great matchup. You got Jimmy Superfly Snooker versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and I think it's very compelling. And I kind of put it this way because sort of Steamboat was kind of brought in to be the successor to Ricky to Jimmy Snooker in uh, WWF, you know, two high flyers who could come off the ring um, ropes and with this, the splash. I just think this is a great matchup. I mean, both guys uh, were powerhouses, uh, great physiques, good charisma. Um, I love both of them. Personally, I'm a bigger Snooka fan, but I think, um, honestly, I would go with Rick, Ricky Steamboat here. I just think he was too good of an overall wrestler. And I think his longevity in the 80s and 90s was was greater than Snuka's. Because really, Snuka, I think it was like 85 or 86. It wasn't long after WrestleMania 1 that he um, he was out. 
of the WWF. I think he had some drug problems and stuff, and he came back in the late 90s, but was kind of a, a lower mid-card guy. Because by that time, I mean, Jimmy Snook in 1990 was already 45 years old. Right. So um, <clears throat> I, I go with Steamboat in this one. What's your take on this matchup? In <clears throat> around 1984 to 87, this would have been a fantastic matchup. I would have loved to have watched it. Super athletes, both of them. Uh, they both perfected the chop. Uh, they both did a lot of uh, high flying, a little bit of martial arts in there, especially on the Steamboat side. But uh, one thing I'm going to give a shout out to Steamboat. I think he had more popularity in other territories besides WWF. Snooka was more known for the WWWF and the WWF, I think, than he was in uh, a lot of the other promotions. So as far as significance to the world of professional wrestling, like I've uh, alluded to before, uh, I think I'm going with Steamboat on this one in a killer match. Uh, it, they draw money. I agree. Sure. So, all right. So we got Steamboat moving on. All right. Next matchup, Kevin Von Erich versus Jerry Lawler. What's your take on this matchup? Again, it all depends on where it's booked. If it's at, at the Memphis Coliseum in 1983-84, Lawler goes over. But if it's in WCCW, Von Erich goes over. So, honestly, overall, uh, career-wise, I was more early on. Now, I'm going to say I was a Lawler fan. But later on, when I began to, to appreciate athleticism and, and body type and things like that, I'm uh, Kevin Von Erich, I, I, I was more of a fan of his for longer. So honestly, without the, it's tough because Lawler had such a significance for, uh, now, wait a minute. We're talking about Kevin though, aren't we? We're talking about Kevin. Von Kevin. Yeah. Kevin. Oh, well that, this makes it easier. Lawler, Lawler goes over Kevin Von Eric in a good match. I, I agree. And I mean, I'm coming from this perspective as a, as a Von Eric Homer, but I, I agree. I, I don't think, um, I don't think you put Kevin Von Eric over Jerry Lawler, um, even when Kevin Von Erich was really red hot in 84, 85, because I think Lawler was, um, you know, he was just too good and he was too hot at that point, I think. But I think it'd be a really good match because, like I said, Kevin Von Erich, like you said too, Kevin Von Erich was a really great, great wrestler. Yep. Um, I just don't think he had the charisma that Kerry did. No. Uh, and he didn't have the charisma that Lawler did. And I think Lawler would be – the guy, if you're a booker, you want to put over here in that matchup. So, Agreed. going with the king. All right, next matchup. In a match that actually happened um, in the late 80s, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff versus Kerry Von Erich. Two powerhouses, great physiques here, uh, good promos. I would give Orndorff the edge on promos. Then Kerry, uh, great charisma. I think this would be a, a fantastic match, a lot of good uh, – Good skill wrestling, but also a lot of good power wrestling. But I, I've got Kerry Von Erich going over with a claw hold. What's your take? I think this would be a great, great matchup. I, I was a Paul Orndorff mark back in the day. He was one of my, besides Austin Idol, he was one of the first bad guys that I really loved. I loved, you know, it hurt my feelings when he turned on Hogan, but then I seen the magic that they made as, as a, uh, a feud uh, later on, and I really appreciated that. I think overall popularity, though, and with the Von Erich name, you almost have to put Kerry over. It's a tough one for me, though, because I'm more of a Paul Orndorff fan than I am Kerry Von Erich, but I'll choose with my mind instead of my heart, and I'll go with Kerry. Yeah. 
Well, I I agree, but I will say I, I really like Paul Orndorff as well. Um, <clears throat> and I, I tell you what, the winners of this match, besides the true wrestling fans, are, are the women like my mom, <laughs> like Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff right. and Gary Von Erich. But, um, you know, and I just think both guys are great. But, all right, so we have Kerry going over. All right, so the final four of this bracket are some of the elite matches of the 80s. We got Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat in the first of final of the final four of this bracket. What's your take on Flair versus Steamboat? One of the best matches in the history of professional wrestling. 1989 I, I, in Chicago. If you haven't watched it, go back and watch it. It's it's a dynamite matchup. I think they also repeated it on a Clash of the Champions, or that may have even been a Clash of the Champions. I can't remember. But they had a series around that time frame where – Nothing WWF was doing could even touch them. I mean, in my mind, that's when I started kind of fading more over to NWA, WCW. And it, just from a strict wrestling and athleticism uh, reason, I mean, Rick Flair and Steamboat just could tear the house down and they could go at it for 30 minutes. They could go at it for 60 minutes and you would believe it. I mean, and they could, they would never let it get boring. You, you never heard the boring chance. And the chop- the chops that both of them gave out were were intense. They oh were hard. It, it was great. Um, I mean, you know, as much as they talk about how great the Ricky Steamboat Macho Man match in WrestleMania three was, I don't know that it's better than those eighty nine Flair Steamboat matches. They were just amazing. I don't think it is. I my personal opinion. Now, I love that WrestleMania three match, and it stands out. And when you go back and look. I'm the biggest Hogan mark there is, but I still feel like the Steamboat Macho match was probably the best one in WrestleMania three. But I don't think it was better than Flair and Steamboat. Now let's get back to business. With that, mm. be, with that being said, Flair has too much of a significant impact on professional wrestling. I think Flair goes over, but it's a dynamite match, and it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I, I mean, I can't echo any better than what you said. I mean. I just think it's a tremendous match, but I go with the Nature Boy as well. I mean, you know, when you think of rest, wrestling in the '80s and titles, I mean, he had more titles than Steamboat. He was the great with great with the promo, and it, and I just vote for Flair in this too. One of my favorites. All right, so the Nature Boy moves on over Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Next, we got a matchup that's a a rematch of Super Clash Three in 1988: Jerry the King Lawler versus Kerry Von Erich. All right, I'm going to give you the first word here because you know who I'm going to go for in this matchup. <laughs> so everybody knows when I was a little kid, I was a Lawler fan, but and I was kind of alluding to this because I got confused when it was Lawler versus Kevin. I'm I'm pushing Kerry over Lawler on this, but it's a dynamite match. It's it's a, a battle. I almost want to say it's a double count out or something cheap like that, but I feel like the significance of the of the Von Erich family. And just the pure popularity of Kerry in the late '80s, early '90s, you got to push him over here. I agree, and I watched that Super Clash. I watched a lot of their matches this week. I watched re- rewatched Super Clash Three, a lot of their other matches. And besides the fact that I'm a huge Kerry fan, I looked at it objectively, and I'm like, all right, as far as guys being over in their territories, they were both over big time. But even when Kerry went to Tennessee for some of those matches. He got more. I mean, I'm not gonna say he got more, but he got a lot of uh, 
support from the fans, even in um, in Tennessee Agreed. and in that match in AWA, the fans were definitely on his side. Right. So I think he had the better look. I think he had you know better physique. I think he was an overall better wrestler because I think Lawler was more of a you know punches and just a, a brawler. That being said, Lawler was better in the promo, and that's why this pairing is so great because you have a guy like Lawler who he could really stir the pot. Um, and he was good at being heel or face. So I definitely want to give my props to Jerry Lawler, but I'm going with Kerry Von Erich here too because, I mean, I just think he was overall better. And if you look at their career trajectory, yes, Kerry, when he passed away in 93, his career was cut short. But really, when Lawler went over to WWF in like 93 – he really didn't have uh, he didn't have much of a career as a, a wrestler at that point. He was more of a commentator, more of a comedy wrestler. So he was not the the Jerry Lawler wrestler back in the Memphis days. So right. if someone wanted to argue longevity with me, I'd come back and say, well, really, it was about the, about the same there. And I just think Kerry was uh, was just overall a better wrestler, and overall was a, a bigger draw. So that being said, it would be a great match. So and what? moving Kerry Von Erich along, and we got a matchup of one of the classic battles of the mid-'80s. You got Nature Boy Ric Flair versus Kerry Von Erich. I got to tell you, these matchups with the Von Erichs, especially Kerry and Flair in the early-'80s, they were they were pretty hot. Um, you know, when Flair had come to Dallas and on World Class, he had um, you know, draw the heat from those fans, and he'd have great promos with Fritz Von Erich and really get into it. Um, and, and really the match quality with Flair and Kerry was excellent. And probably the match that Kerry won the title in 1984 was one of their worst matches. It wasn't a, a terrible match by any means, but it wasn't as good as some of those 30, 60 minute time limit draws that they had. Right. But that being said, as much as I am a Kerry Von Eric fan, I'm not going to push him over Ric Flair. Ric Flair, was just, he was just too dominant in in um in um NWA at that time and you got to give the guy props for being the Nash the world champion for that long within the 80s and the responsibility that comes with being that champion and going to the territories and getting heat in all those territories and being able to sell cuz when he went to uh Texas to fight the Von Erichs or he went to Memphis to fight Lawler or whoever he couldn't. He had to be able to sell for the the big draws there because that gets the heat with the fans. And I just think Flair was a master at that. So I would go with Ric Flair, but not with a figure four. I'm gonna go with a a small package roll up over Kerry Von Erich for the win. If not, maybe some interference from uh, Arn or JJ or Tully or somebody. But Flair does go over here. I'm gl- I'm glad that you picked with your mind and not your heart. Yeah. It's hard to do. But Flair is just too significant to the world of professional wrestling. If we didn't have him in the final four, we'd probably get uh, booed off stage or lose listeners. (laughs) I'm I'm going with Flair for sure, but I am also more of a Flair fan than I was Kerry Von Erich. So it's a little bit easier for me, but definitely great matches in the early 80s, man. Yeah. All right. So Ric Flair wins his bracket and we move on to our next bracket. We're going to stick with the NWA era. And we're going to go with the bracket headed by Sting. You got Sting versus Flying Brian Pillman and two of the more exciting young stars that came along in the late 80s and progressed into the the early 90s. So talk about Sting and Flying Brian. Well, 
I'm a huge Sting fan, especially Sting from the 80s and early 90s before the whole uh, Crow gimmick. Uh, I was a huge Sting fan for back then. And uh, Brian Pillman loved him. Uh, I love that he, I think his uh, gimmick or whatever it was that he played for the Cincinnati Bengals for a little while. I think there's right. actually truth to that. And yeah. uh, hey, Brian Pillman was a great tag team wrestler. I loved him. He, he and uh, Stone Cold as Stunning Steve Austin had heat. They were a great tag team that was cut short by a mistake made by WCW management, in my opinion. Uh, Pillman, Pillman was great. He r- ran into his own problems later in his career. And, uh, of course, his career was cut short as well as a lot of the wrestlers we've already mentioned. Sting goes over here. Uh, I, I, I just can't say anything bad about Sting. I'm, I was a huge fan of his. Uh, Sting was number two only to Hogan back then for me. So Sting it is. I agree. Um, I think it'd be a fun matchup because I think both guys, you know, they could go with the technical stuff, but also the the aerial. I just think Sting would be too powerful. And overall, um, he was more significantly important in that period of, of wrestling. I mean, a multiple world time uh, title holder, super popular with the fans. So I agree with Sting. All right. This next matchup, oh my gosh, for the the wrestler wrestling fans who love the psychology of wrestling, I don't think it gets any better than this. Jake the Snake Roberts versus Raven. Talk about Jake the Snake versus Raven, Scott. The promos leading up to this matchup would be untouchable. I think they would probably be some of the best promos and such a feud buildup between these two guys. It's something that, that probably better than anything that we've, we've ever seen, honestly, storyline-wise. If you could put these guys, maybe these guys, in my opinion, are 10 years apart. If you take a 1987 uh, Jake the Snake versus a 1997 Raven, you've got fire from one side of the globe to the other because these two guys brought the psychology. They both had that evil undertone. Uh, they both were sharp on the promos, and they both could go in the ring. So uh, I, I think maybe Raven was a, a, a slight bit more athletic than than Jake, but these two guys would go at it, man. This this would have been a fantastic feud. Uh, just I can't say enough about it. You know, it's interesting when you look at this matchup. Um, Jake the Snake, to my knowledge, I don't recall him ever being a, a champion in WWF. No. I don't recall him ever being a champion in, um, in NWA as a singles guy. And I think in the early eighties, um, he may have had some like in tag team and, and, and things like that. So he was always one of these really important mid card guys. Um, whereas from Raven's standpoint, he was a multiple time ECW champion, right? Did he hold titles in WCW? I think he, I think that he held the U S championship actually when he was with the flock. Yeah. So, matter of fact, from a cha- isn't he the one that dropped it to Goldberg? I thought Goldberg took the U.S. belt off of him. He may have, but if you're looking just from a title standpoint, Raven had more titles in that period, and really he was one of the main guys in ECW. So, oh yeah, there is an argument to be made that Raven is the guy that goes over here. But yet, Jake the Snake, when you talk about his feuds, like his feuds with Andre and his feuds with Ravishing Rick Rude and... Uh, Macho Man. Macho Man. Oh, gosh, yes. I mean... Steamboat. He, his heat was amazing. And I remember a great quote that he said um, 
he was on a, a show and talking about his time in WWF and he was, you know, getting bigger and this, this and that. And, um, um, McMahon came up to him and said, I don't want you to be built up. You're a snake character. I need someone to be able to real, really relate that you're this kind of sleazy, slimy kind of guy. This is when he was a heel. Right. And so that's why he kind of never was built up really big. And the other thing <clears throat> is he wrestled a match and he just thought it was a great, great match and technical and all this and that. And he got criticized by McMahon and he's like, what are you talking about? And McMahon said, I didn't tell you to go out there and wrestle a great match. I told you to go out there and get over and Jake, the snake can get over and he can get other people over. Yep. So, I mean, I think this is just a real toss up. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess part of me would say Jake, the snake. I think he had a more, um, overall national appeal in wrestling, but you know, Raven was really good too. I, I mean, I think your your average casual wrestling fan definitely picked Jake the Snake. But what's your pick on this? I'm going with Jake only because Jake was a household name more than Raven. Raven was more of your underground. He didn't really gain super popularity until he got into WCW, and that was for a short period. Jake was actually popular in Mid-South before he went to WWF. Then when he went to WWF, it was he was just on fire. Uh, and like you said, even though he never held a belt, he was kind of like the Roddy Piper. Uh, you know, Roddy finally eventually did end up holding Intercontinental gold, but it, Piper always said you don't need a belt to get over, and, and he was right because Jake the Snake and Piper himself are, are kind of proof of that. They, they were two of the most popular and well-known wrestlers there were. And one element that gets Jake the Snake over Raven to me is Jake later in his career is responsible for Austin 316. So that's right. I'm, yep. I'm pushing Jake over on that premise alone, let alone the fact that Jake is getting heat right now on AEW. So Jake has, has uh, came back and is getting heat currently as a manager. So Jake goes over, but it's, it's a heck of a matchup. Agreed. All right. So we're moving Jake the snake along. Our next matchup it's a great Muda versus X-Pac. Oh. And this is a, a, a very interesting battle of two <clears throat> technical stars. So uh, what's your take on this matchup? So uh, let me be the first to say right now that I was never an X-Pac 6, 1, 2, 3 kid, any of that fan. I discovered X-Pac or whatever you want to call him when he was on a little known wrestling federation called Global Wrestling. And he was called the Lightning Kid. So lightning kid. this was in the early, early nineties. And at that time I was impressed with him because he was doing a lot of aerial stuff that I'd not been, uh, you know, exposed to at the time, but the guy weighed like 130 pounds. So that part of it, I was like, okay, so, you know, 130 pounds man can probably, you know, can, a lot of people could do that if they wanted to. And he got a pretty good push in, in global, and it was just something to pass the time because at the time of the day it was on, it was like the only thing on. So I did watch it because I was a huge wrestling fan. But uh, X-Pac gets squashed here. Great Muda is one of, the, one of my favorite all-time guys, especially uh, his runs in WCW against Sting, Flair, and and all that. So Muda kills him in this one. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Muda. I'm surprised you a little bit you were saying a squash match because I thought X-Pac was a good wrestler, but really in the – in the mid to late nineties. I mean, he was, uh, he, he was good, but he didn't really wrestle as much as I thought he should. Right. Uh, you know, he's more of just 
talk and lip service. Uh, and that's one of the things I didn't like about the the nineties wrestling was all the lip service from wrestling. Cause I was like, let's just get in the ring. But right. I agree with Muda. I mean, Muda is, is was a significant part of eighties uh, wrestling. I mean, I, his matchups with sting um, were, were amazing. So I definitely uh, agree with Muda moving on here. All right. Our next matchup is a great matchup and, and just two of the greatest technicians in, in wrestling history. You've got Kurt Angle versus Bob Buckland or Bob Backland. And uh, I just think this would be a fascinating matchup. I mean, you take Kurt Angle in the, the mid and late 90s versus Bob Backland in the early to mid 80s. That's a great matchup, and for people who don't remember Bob Backlund, I mean, he was the man in WWF as the champion for, I mean, a really long period of time, I mean, multiple years uh, before he basically had to drop it to the Iron Sheik as a transition to start Hulkamania. So, uh, but, you know, the thing about with Backlund is he just didn't have the look. He had to look like your average everyday Joe, and so when they started to go with this transition of more, you know, bulked up guys, the bodybuilding look and stuff like that, he was just kind of cast aside in WWF. And uh, but he was a tremendous wrestler. Uh, so talk about this matchup. This matchup would be amazing as far as people who are are fans of mat wrestling and chain wrestling. These two guys, amateur backgrounds, transcend almost everybody in the sport. I mean. Bob Backlund, before Hogan got super popular, I've got a, a, a DVD set uh, called Anthology with Hogan, and there's a match on there between Hogan and Backlund that a lot of people don't know about or talk about because it's so old. Hey, man, I recommend you going back and watching this match. There's some good wrestling, and Backlund makes Hogan look like he can wrestle. I mean, it, it's a back-and-forth uh, mat wrestling, and, and the power of Backlund for his size was ridiculous because like you said, he looks like an average Joe, but he picked up Hogan and carried him across the ring like a sack of potatoes. I mean, it looked like he made it look easy. And this was when Hogan was going about 310. So I recommend you go back and watch that just to, to get an example of what Bob Backlund, his capability is. Now, with that being said, Kurt Angle, Mr. Olympia, uh, his amateur background, uh, his credentials, his success in professional wrestling. Because, I, I mean, I'm not just going to be a WWF mark. Kurt Angle went over to TNA and made them significant. A lot of people uh, are not familiar with uh, TNA per se, but Kurt Angle was their top guy for a while. And honestly, the years that he was over there with AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and a lot of those guys, TNA was really good. As a matter of fact, there were times where the action in TNA was much better than WWF, my opinion. So uh, Kurt Angle goes over here, but this is a awesome match, and I would pay to see it for sure. All right, so you got Kurt Angle going over. You know, I, I, I guess I have to agree with that because I've watched a lot of Angle's matches back in the day, and my gosh, he was he was fantastic. I mean... And he's the kind of guy that he could really go with anybody. I mean, he had the power to go with the bigger guys. He had the technical skills, obviously, to go against anybody and really dominate. I mean, a super powerful guy. Um, I, I And I, he was good on the promo, too. I thought he was a, a real good promo guy. So I'm going to vote for 
for Kurt Angle as well. But I just I would really like to see this match. And uh, you know the other thing with Bob Backlund when he returned to the uh, WWF in the, the early to mid nineties, he had some great matches with Bret Hart. Um, you know he started to be this like psycho uh, guy and everything. But I mean it, it we we definitely want to give Bob Backlund his due because he was just a tremendous tremendous wrestler. It's just I think. When he's matched up with Kurt Angle in the first round, which all these matchups are are tough. I mean, Kurt Angle, in my opinion, is one of the top twenty-five wrestlers o- overall since I've been alive. I mean, agreed, uh, and probably, honestly, probably longer. But I mean, he was he was just really significant. The bot, the heat that Bob got when he came back in the early nineties w- was amazing. I've actually got a uh, a story about that when me and like fifteen other teenage guys went over to Robert stadium to watch uh, a matchup at WWF when Bob made that comeback. And we actually cheered Bob when he was a heel and he actually ate it up and actually responded to us. It was hilarious, but that character was good. It was funny. Yeah. All right. So we're moving along. Kurt angle, our next matchup. This is not only including the wrestlers, this is going to include the valets. So we got a matchup of gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and sunshine uh, as his valet versus Mark Merrow with Sable as the valet. And I'm kind of pairing this up because, you know, the whole gorgeous Jimmy Garvin thing and guys were into their appearance and, and they had the, the attractive blonde as the valet. I just thought it'd be kind of a fun matchup. Um, I thought gorgeous Jimmy Garvin was a really great wrestler in the um, early mid eighties is a, a significant part of world class and his battles with uh, David Von Erich. And of course, that battle ended where David got the win and um, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Sunshine had to go over uh, to the Von Eric Ranch and serve as farmhands, which is kind of funny. But, you know, he was really good in AWA. He was good in NWA as well, uh, pairing up with Ron Garvin and eventually the Freebirds. Um, not the biggest guy, but, um, you know, he he was a good, solid wrestler. He was good as a face or a heel. Um, and he just – he really – uh, embodied that gorgeous Jimmy Garvin look. He really kind of sold it. You know, he had his flashy jacket and everything, and Sunshine was a good heel who'd interfere. Um, I thought Mark Merrow was a solid wrestler. I don't think he's the wrestler that Jimmy Garvin was, but on the other hand, Sable was a significant part of the 90s. <laughs> so so what's your uh, take on this matchup? Because I've got Jimmy Garvin going over, but I think it'd be a fun matchup because Sable would definitely get involved. This matchup would have been very fun in WCW, NWA, when Mark Merrow was Johnny B. Bad. And I think mm-hmm. that I think that he did not have Sable with him back then when he was in no. WCW. So I, I think that that matchup would have been awesome in that era. But if we're picking uh, valets here, Sable goes over by a long shot because I, 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 I was crazy about her, but... If we're going by wrestling and, and things like that, I'm I'm definitely going with Jimmy Garvin because I loved him as a singles guy because he drew heat. And I also liked him in his version of the Freebirds with uh, P.S. Michael Hayes and and uh, Gordy. So I, I'm I'm going with Garvin. Yep, I, I agree with that. You know, and that, we probably need to ha- – I was thinking this morning we probably need to have a bracket where we have like a bracket challenge versus – uh, that includes the valets. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So we got uh, Jimmy Garvin going over in this matchup. All right. 
Now, the next matchup, <laughs> continuing on with the theme of the, the wrestlers who thought they were sexy and um, uh, important in that regard, I've got a great matchup. But before we get started, what, my fir- what the first wrestler in this matchup would like to have is for all you fat, out-of-shape Tampa Bay tubbies, keep the noise down while he takes his robe off to show the ladies what a real man looks like. <laughs> and, of course, that's Ravishing Rick Rude, one of my personal favorite wrestlers against Val Venus. <laughs> so, all right, so talk about these two guys because um, I think more of our wrestling fans are obviously very well aware with um, Ravishing Rick Rude and his body of work, which was very impressive. And, um, and Val Venus is maybe not known as much by our wrestling fans. So talk about these two guys. Now, I personally think Val Venus was a good wrestler, and I think that he was basically the Rick Rude of the Attitude Era, but they didn't push him like they should have. He was more of a mid-carter. Yeah. Uh, Guy had a good body. He was strong, muscular, uh, very good in the ring. Did not get pushed enough. Don't know what the reasons behind that were. Uh, Rick Rude just was too significant to the wrestling world as far as these two go, but this would have been a funny matchup, and it would have been a good I mean, wrestling-wise, I think this could have been a main event in any organization at any time when both of these guys were in their prime. I think it would have been – they're both tough. They're both supposedly tough outside the ring. Uh, you know, I, I just think it would be good. But Rick Rude goes over for sure in a in a great matchup. Yeah, I, I agree with Rick Rude. Um, I mean, he's one of my favorite wrestlers. I mean, I I personally was not an Ultimate Warrior fan, so I really liked Rick Rude. Uh, and was cheering for him in his battles with Ultimate Warrior, and just a you know a great overall wrestler. I mean, he had a lot of success um, in the NWA before he came to WWF, and also in World Class. He was the the first World Class Champion when they seceded from um, NWA, and really he was there at that time when Kerry Von Erich was out because of the the motorcycle accident. So he was kind of the guy along with Kevin Von Erich keeping that franchise uh, really relevant. But just an overall good wrestler. Uh, obviously, his body and look was fantastic. Um, I really liked his rivalries with uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, those were fantastic. I mean, the point when he was at actually taunting Cheryl Roberts after the match, because, you know, after the match, he'd always pick, he and Bobby the Brain had picked some woman to come up and get the, the rude awakening, <laughs> uh, the, the kiss and everything. Right. Of course, this woman didn't want to go up there and just like, what's wrong with you? And he's starting to get upset and come to find out it was Jake the Snake's wife at the time, Cheryl Roberts, and he was taunting her. And then Jake the Snake comes out and, I mean, started a very heated feud. And, I mean, Rick Rude just ate it up. He had a photo or Cheryl Roberts airbrushed on his tights. So... <laughs> I mean, it was great. Great feud. And when he went to WCW after, um, you know, because he left WWF because of a money dispute. And I guess, you know, he wanted to be pushed as a main guy and they were just going to push Warrior or uh, uh, Hogan, which I think was a mistake. I mean, I'm just not an Ultimate Warrior fan, but he had some really good battles with Sting over in the NWA and yep. uh, WCW. And uh, unfortunately, he suffered a really bad back injury in a match with Sting over in Japan, and that's what really shortened his career because, I mean, he would have been a significant star in that Attitude Era. And in many cases, you know, he was like the sidekick over in, for Degeneration X or he was the broadcaster in ECW. But, I mean, he would have eaten up the 
the attitude era for sure. But I, I'm glad you made the points about Val Venus. I, I think he was a good wrestler. I don't think he was, you know, a level, but he was definitely a guy that's a good intercontinental level. I thought his promos and his vignettes were really good. Yep. And uh, you know, he came off the top with that the the big splash, and he, he was a really good wrestler. So I I was kind of surprised he didn't get a bigger push um, in WWF uh, for a longer period of time. But I agree, Ravishing Rick Rude goes over in a battle uh, of two guys who were they would consider the sexiest wrestlers of their time. So, <laughs> all right, our next matchup is the battle of the 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 guys who kill kayfabe. Iron Sheik versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> great, great backstory to that one. <laughs> well, for those who don't know, um, you know, back in the day when a lot of us were growing up, I mean, a lot of us, we really thought wrestling was real. You know, we really thought, hey, the Von Erichs and the, um, the Freebirds hated each other and that, uh, you know, the Iron Sheik and Hulk Hogan really hated each other. Well, then one day, apparently Hacksaw Jim Duggan um, was, you know, the wrestlers, they would travel from town to town by car. And the Iron Sheik, I guess, got to the airport and didn't have a rental car or something, and he needed a ride. And so Hacksaw Jim Duggan, just being a nice guy, asked the Iron Sheik if they needed uh, if you needed a ride. And, of course, these guys were in a, a rivalry at the time. And as luck would have it in New Jersey, they got pulled over. And the to hear this story, and I, I, Jim Duggan was telling it on uh, Jericho's podcast, if y'all – don't listen to Chris Jericho's podcast. You should because it's really good. Um, so, you know, Duggan was a big, big um, wrestling guy over in uh, the Mid-South era in the UWF with Bill Watts and everything. And so in those Louisiana territories, he was like, yeah, it was no big deal. A small town and drive with a beer open and this and that. So he get, they get pulled over. And apparently they had been smoking marijuana and Jim Duggan had a, an open beer right in the car. And the, the the cop was like, "Do you know that? It, did you know that it's illegal to in the state of New Jersey to have a, a to be driving with an open container of beer?" And he said, I "No, absolutely not. But I do now, <laughs> kind of a thing." And then they searched the car. They could smell the marijuana. They could search the car. They, they searched the car. Then they found like I think uh, the Iron Sheik had cocaine on it. So both guys got arrested, and then hit the news that the Iron Sheik and uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan were arrested. And this was like in 1987 when Duggan was in the middle of a big push in WWF. And all of a sudden it just killed kayfabe. And so the Iron Sheik got fired. And I think, you know, Duggan got, uh, you know, really kind of down. The, he was always a, a top guy, but he was never having more runs for the Intercontinental title or things like that. But the more I think about this, I'm like, this could have been one of the best things to ever happen in wrestling because what sh they should have done, in my opinion, is when the cops go over, they should have had them build into the feud and that they're arresting the Sheik and then Duggan's helping them arrest the Sheik. So, like, you got the all-American guy arresting this guy that hates America. I mean, that's how I would have tried to spin that situation, but it didn't happen. Right. So, anyway, so this matchup happened. And in real world, um, you know, the Sheik was a really good heel, could, could get heat great um, wherever he went. Um, an overall good, solid wrestler. Hacksaw Jim Duggan was more of a brawler kind of a guy. But I, I just think Hacksaw Jim Duggan would go over in this matchup. But what's your take on it? 
I think it's a great matchup. Uh, so you're putting Hacksaw over, right? Is that how I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah I would put Hacksaw over. I, I, I struggle with that simply because, I mean, Hacksaw was a household name, super popular. Uh, definitely one of Hogan's boys back in the day. You know, he was in that crowd. The thing is, though, is the Sheik was a legit tough guy, legit athlete, was a world champion, dropped the belt to Hogan, probably should have held gold again, whether it be uh, intercontinental or tag team. I think Sheik got undersold. Um, I don't know, man. This one's, this one's a little tougher for me. I from a- What about this? You know, before the show, we talked about, hey, we may have some disagreements here, and we've each got one of our – we're going to have an outside interference card. We each have four. I'm taking outside maybe. interference on this one. Nikolai Volkov maybe. comes out and interferes. All right, outside interference with Nikolai Volkov. So we're going to put the Sheik over? Well, either that or we uh, uh, are we calling it outside interference with a, a double dis- a double count out, or are we calling it outside well, interference with Sheik goes over? I'd have it where Iron or Nikolai comes in and he interferes and you know hits um, hits Duggan over the head with the American flag, knocks him out when the referee's tied up with the Iron Sheik doesn't see a thing, and then all of a sudden he, the Sheik comes over and puts the camel clutch on the despondent uh, uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan and he taps out. All right, I'm I'm pulling that card then. That works for me. I, I have to go right. with that. Hacksaw was more popular, but I think Sheik was more significant. Okay, all right, so Iron Sheik goes over there. Next matchup, we've got the Macho Man, Randy Savage, versus the Honky Tonk Man. And, of course, Macho Man is accompanied to the ring by Miss Elizabeth. So, so what's your take on these two guys? Great matchup. This matchup actually took place. Uh, I think these guys were in good battles. I think, uh, you know, Honky Tonk Man's undersold. He's a bitter old man now when you listen to his shoot interviews. He hates everybody. Uh, I'm pretty much sure, you know, he and Jerry Lawler are like first cousins, right? He hates Jerry Lawler. So really? I didn't know he hated Lawler. Uh, he talk- yeah, they are cousins though. He talks bad about everybody that he gets on there about, and he really has a distaste for the ultimate warrior. Uh, even though he made a lot of money with ultimate warrior. Uh, so I, I think honky tonk is undersold because he got a lot of good heel heat and he would come in the ring and say, I know you're here to listen to me sing, even though he was terrible and, and all that, but Randy goes over here. Randy's just too wildly popular, and and Randy was just good, man. He was flat good in the ring and and entertaining to watch. Promos were awesome, which Honky Tonk's promos were pretty good too. But uh, Randy goes over here for sure. I agree. I mean, I, I think the Macho Man was one of the most significant wrestlers in this era for sure, and, and overall in history. And he was one of these guys that, I mean, like a flair. You know, he could he had the technical skills in the ring but he could get you over in the promo he was good as a heel or a face um and his intensity in real life <laughs> is what you saw in in the ring i mean it's just you know this um this super energetic guy very possessive emotional but man he had some great battles um in wwf obviously with steamboat that we talked about earlier um i loved his matchups with hogan um you know, he went with Flair. I, I really enjoyed his matchups when he went over to WCW with DDP. I thought that rivalry was hot. Oh, they tore the house down, and, and it was uh, just a great matchup. I mean, th- those guys could both go. Macho could still go, even though 
the WWF guys were trying to say, oh, they were calling him the Nacho Man and saying he was, uh, you know, past his prime and all that. Shoot, I think he proved them wrong because he and DDP were were awesome. Yeah, I agree. So definitely the Macho Man here, and I guess with the Honky Tonk Man, you know, I I don't know. I never would, I, he was good at getting heat, but you know, when you listen to his interviews as well. I mean, I never really thought of Honky Tonk Man as as great as he portrays himself in the in the shoot interviews. Because, I mean, he wasn't as good as Savage. He wasn't as good no. as Steamboat. I mean, he was a, and it's kind of weird. You know, he got the title from Ricky Steamboat because Ricky Steamboat wanted to take time off, I guess, for his daughter. For it was some family reason, right? And so when he wanted to do that, you know, Vince McMahon put. Uh, Honky Tonk over Steamboat really as punishment for Steamboat and the Honky Tonk man had the longest reign of as Intercontinental Champion in WWF history which was very surprising to me one of the best yeah I mean but considering that you've had guys like you know the Macho Man and uh, uh, Mr. Perfect Steamboat Bret Hart all these you know great Intercontinental title right holy, that the Honky Tonk man would have the longest reign but <laughs> But he was a good gimmick guy, you know. He's kind of like a the precursor to the modern day Elias character. Yeah. But I never thought his skills in the ring were anything spectacular. But you know, he kind of fit in really well with that '80s style of wrestling in WWF. Because even watching some of the old WWF um, uh, WrestleManias, comparing that style of wrestling to the NWA in that period, I mean. It wasn't even close as far as the quality of, of matches in wrestling. NWA was definitely better. The WWF matches were more kind of a carnival. No contest. Kind of a thing. No, so, no contest. And I was like, shoot, if you look at the wrestling in WrestleMania, like in the late, mid-late 90s in WWF and even today, I mean, the wrestling is far superior uh, than what you saw in the, the, the 80s. But I tell you what, though, I would – encourage all of our listeners to go to the wwe network that ten dollar subscription per month is probably the best ten dollars you can spend totally worth it because they have all the wrestlemanias on there and you can watch all these matches and i was watching some i mean just to hear the commentary from gorilla monsoon and uh, jesse the body in that era it was so funny and some of the comments they had were so politically incorrect that you couldn't (laughs) go today especially like they had in wrestlemania 3 king kong bundy and the the midget matches and they were using the term midget, which now you have to say little people and everything. Right. <laughs> it was just hilarious. And then they had like Bob Euchre on there. Oh and, yeah. I mean, it was just, the commentary was, was amazing. But so, I will uh, boast the network for another reason besides just WWE material. If you go over there, they've got WCCW, AWA, they've got NWA, WCW. They've got all kinds of old, territory material that is totally worth it and it, right. it can raise your education level on professional wrestling absolutely so before we move on to the second round matchups in this bracket i do want to take a moment to um just kind of reflect and honor the career of uh, miss elizabeth in the world of professional wrestling you know we talked earlier about the importance of valets and we mentioned um uh, sable and sunshine but you know miss elizabeth was kind of a different uh, breed of valet she was not this valet that would be like you know uh sunshine or baby doll who'd interfere in the matches she was this very attractive demure woman coming to the uh ring in a very elegant 
dress and and really didn't interfere at all until she got into the WWF and was really you know one of the first mainstream valets. Uh, talk about her importance to the world of professional wrestling. Miss Elizabeth's character brought class to the valet. Uh, no offense to the other ladies because I loved them, you know, and I thought they brought a good element to wrestling. But Miss Elizabeth was classy versus those girls or other ladies would get in there and get involved and be half naked and things like that. Miss Elizabeth brought class to the valet uh, job and she was very timid, very, you know, just very classy, very elegant, as you said, and just very significant. She was a, you know, I think that she brought Macho Man's uh, credit up a little bit because back then you couldn't say Macho Man without Elizabeth. I mean, it was, Mm -hmm. they were a package deal. And I think her character helped elevate Macho Man. And for a time it helped people hate Macho Man, which is what he was trying to accomplish because he would mistreat her on television, you know, when he was a heel and that just brought heat, you know, and everybody was like, man, I want to beat that dude up and, and things like that. So I I think she was very significant to the early to mid eighties wrestling world. I agree. And of course, I mean, she was, um, very important in the rivalry between Hulk Hogan and, uh, macho man in the late eighties and the separation of the mega powers, which was money, a huge money draw. Yeah. So, and even when she went over to NWA, because, uh, you know, she and um, Macho Man were married at the time in WWF, but ultimately got divorced, I think, in 92. But she went over and was paired up with Ric Flair in NWA, and, you know, Woman was on there with her. And, I mean, she, she got more active, but it's still a very important part of uh, the WCW and NWA uh, period in the 90s. And for those that don't know... Give Macho Man credit for that because I recently found out he was instrumental, even though they were divorced, in getting her the job in WCW. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I just want to take a few moments to recognize the accomplishments of Miss Elizabeth because she was a significant contributor to wrestling in this period. And I just think it'd be an injustice to not recognize her on this podcast. So, next, we're moving on to our second round matchups the battle of some type of reptile. Oh, we got Jake the Snake versus Sting. What's your take on this matchup? I think this was would be a dynamite match. Uh, Jake went to WCW, but I, I hate it because he went, I think it was a little bit past his prime. Uh, and I think this matchup may have actually taken place at some point. But I would have loved to have seen maybe like a 1987-88 Jake the Snake versus like a 1993 Sting uh, somewhere in that that neighborhood, I think that would have been a fabulous matchup. I love both characters, but Sting to me, I'm, I've said it once before, I'm a Sting Mark. Uh, I think he was too significant to NWA, WCW, and even the you know the short time he was in UWF, uh, he made a, a big contribution over there. So I, I'm pushing Sting over Jake. I agree. I I think Sting was um, he was too significant. I think he had the the look and the popularity. There's just too much to overcome um, for this bracket. And I, I think, you know, hey, Sting was a, a good overall wrestler, good uh, with psychology. I think this would be a perfect baby face versus heel matchup. I think Jake the Snake would do an excellent job of selling and really stirring the pot in the matchup. But I think at the end of the day, I agree with you 100%. Sting goes over. So moving Sting along. Next matchup, the Great Muda versus Kurt uh, Angle. This would be a really, really good matchup. I, I would love to see that. Wow. 
What's your take on this matchup? This is a fantasy booking. I mean, I <laughs> this is a complete fantasy booking, especially a like a early '90s Muda versus like a late '90s uh, early 2000s angle. I think that this would be just an amazing match. It would be main event status anywhere. I, I love both of these guys. Now, for American wrestling contribution, I'm going to have to put Angle over. But if you look at all of Muda's accomplishments in both America and Japan and, and all that, I, it's a tough one, man. But I think overall, Angle goes over here, but this is a dynamite match. I agree with putting Angle over in this matchup. I think he was just um, his success in the 90s over here was just uh, too much. So we'll move Kurt Angle along. All right, our next matchup, the Battle of the Beautiful People. Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, accompanied by Sunshine, along with against Ravishing Rick Rude. What's your take on this matchup? This is a good matchup, WCW style. Uh, I can see this taking place in WCW before the whole Monday Night Wars in that era where WCW was kind of, they were coming up, but they hadn't just completely uh, exploded yet. And uh, I, I think this is a good matchup that probably Dusty Rhodes uh, is responsible for booking. And, uh, you know, good 20-minute match. They never get boring. They they sell for each other. But overall, Rick Rude comes out victorious. I agree. I, I think Rick Rude was just an overall better wrestler. I think, um, you know, he, he has the power over Jimmy Garvin. And I think at the end, he hits Garvin with a Rude Awakening, brings sunshine in the ring, gives her the rude awakening, and she walks out with Rick Rude. I think that's probably the ending that would happen. I agree 100%. All right, so next matchup, Iron Sheik versus the Macho Man, Randy Savage. You know what? I think this would actually be a fantastic matchup because I think you'd have Savage. I mean, he'd be the face in this matchup versus a, a very hated Iron Sheik. And I think it'd be a fun match because, you know, the Sheik could – be technical too just along uh as much as the macho man could so and i think the idea if you have nikolai volkoff around the ring and he'd probably be doing something with miss elizabeth and savage would get upset and out of the ring and attacking nikolai or jumping off the top rope with a double axe handle but uh don't forget fred blassie day, don't forget fred blassie or slick slick uh yeah. took over for fred blassie there yeah so, so I think that out of the ring action would definitely be a very a fun part of this matchup. But at the end of the day, I think the Macho Man goes over. What's your take on this matchup? So surprisingly, with all the history for WWF that I'm aware of and that I know of, I don't think this match ever actually happened. And I think it would have been a hot matchup for when uh, Macho Man first came in WWF. What around eighty five? Yeah, because Sheik was still significant in '85. I I think that that should have probably happened uh, during Macho Man's rise in the company, but I don't think it actually ever did. And and I think in that era, it would have been a great match. Yeah, I think the reason why it didn't happen in WWF, and I'm not aware of it happening either, is at the time Savage came in, he was a heel, and Iron Sheik was a big heel, and plus Iron Sheik was in tag team action with uh, Nikolai at that point. So they weren't going to put two heels together. And by the time Savage had a face turn, that's when the Sheik was out of the WWF because of that arrest we talked about with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Right. And and I don't know if they ever had a match in um, 
in WCW, I don't think they were ever in there at the same time. So I don't think that happened. Yeah, I'm not sure that it happened uh, either. And I, you're right, WWF refused to put heels together until the late 90s or mid-90s to where they would fight each other. But uh, it, it would have been a great match. Uh, like I said, I think Sheik is undersold about his significance in the world of, of wrestling. And Sheik was a superstar amateur wrestler for Iran. I think people... He was an Olympian. Yeah, I think people don't realize that and realize like how legit Sheik really was. And early in Sheik's career, he would do those, uh, he would come in and warm up by doing those, swinging those big uh, clubs around. I can't remember what those are called, uh, Persian clubs or something like that. Those things are mm. almost impossible to do, and Sheik made it look easy. So, uh, you know, Macho Man does go over here, but I just want to make sure Sheik is is getting his prompt uh, due here. All right. All right, so we have the Macho Man moving along. Wow, so we got a another Final Four here that's um, just an amazing, amazing matchup, which obviously we expect that. I mean, you know, even when you're looking at the first-round matchups that we're putting together, nine times out of ten, these are really, really top matchups that would be mid to high level on the card. So we got Sting versus Kurt Angle, and then Ravishing Rick Rude versus the Macho Man. So let's go into that Sting-Kurt Angle matchup. What's your take on that? Because, I mean, this, this would be an amazing match. So this match happened in TNA, but it was way past Sting's prime. But they still carried a good match. Mm -hmm. They still carried a good match. I recommend going back and watching some of uh, Angle and, and Sting's work in TNA. And Sting was near 50 years old at this point. Angle was still kind of in his prime, uh, honestly. So they, they had a good some good matchups there. But... If you take a 92-93 Sting versus a 98-2001 to 2001 Angle, man, they burn the house down. They they just tear it up, and they go at it in a super athletic contest. Unpopular to a lot of people. I'm going with Sting over this. Uh, I'm just a, a bigger Sting fan. I think he had a bigger pop back in the day when he was WCW's golden boy. He was like their, their franchise player, their flagship. I'm going with Sting. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, um, you know, Sting, I mean, he, he was super popular in the, the late 80s and early 90s, a, a big draw, you know, had great matches with Flair, uh, held the gold. Um, I, I think Kurt Angle is really, really good, though. Um, but I agree. I think I'd put Sting over just for his overall pop uh, that he had in the 80s and 90s. So it moves Sting along. Next, oh, my gosh, Whew, man. This matchup right here to me is really a final four matchup in a way is Ravishing Rick Rude versus the Macho Man. I mean, I really like both of these guys. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Ravishing Rick Rude. I just felt like, you know, the the fact that he got hurt in that matchup with Sting um over in Japan and and ended his career early, I just think is a real tragedy because he was he was at the top of his game at that point. Yep. And, you know, you hear about Ravishing Rick Rude being such a good guy overall and the respect of all the wrestlers and just being a real tough guy. And the Macho Man, I mean, these these guys, would they would burn the house down with the charisma, the promos, and the action in the ring. Uh, what's your take on this matchup? The feud, just the sheer heat of the feud building up to this because I could see Rude flirting with Miss Elizabeth. Oh, absolutely. And that would drive... 
uh, Randy Savage, uh, Randy Poffo <laughs> in real life, it would drive him over the edge, which would carry over into the act. And man, <laughs> it would just be huge. Such a good draw, such a main event, such a moneymaker. Uh, and I'm going to build up rude here for a minute. If you haven't seen the match where he and Sting are, are going at it in Japan, where rude gets hurt, this is a, a tribute to his character because he hurt his back and still carried the match, uh, what, 10 minutes after that? And uh, you couldn't even tell that he was hurt. He finished the match, and you you would have never known it. Uh, and just see if you can tell where he got hurt. I think it's pretty easy to tell, but uh, he never stopped and never slowed down after that. But uh, yeah, it, it's a tribute to him. But now, with the significance of, of who wins here, I think you got to go with Macho just for the sheer contribution and the popularity overall from, from start to finish with Macho Man. I agree. I mean, as much as I love Rick Rude, I don't, I don't think you can overlook the longevity of the Macho Man. And, I mean, he, he was so over both as a heel and a face. I mean, a true legend, as is Rick Rude. But I just think that the longevity of Savage in this period was, was greater. Um, so I would go over uh, with Savage here. And, and uh, help sell it. I think Miss Elizabeth does get involved, um, distracts Rick Rude in some way, or like you said, he's flirting with her or something, and Savage comes out, out with a win. He does something to put him out and then goes to the top rope, hits him with a flying elbow, and that's it. Yep. Great match. I would love to have the money to be the booker for that matchup. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that takes us uh, to a final matchup of Sting versus the Macho Man. Two just – giants in this period of 80s and 90s wrestling uh, what's your take on this matchup oh my goodness this one i hate i i hate it but i'm gonna go with my heart instead of my mind on this one and i'm gonna i'm gonna explain why i love both of these characters i love both of them uh both of the guys i think that they were both significant to the business i'm picking sting but and here's why because i don't want well, which I, you've got Flair up there, but uh, in the other bracket. But I don't want WWF to dominate this Final Four by any stretch of the imagination. So I feel like Sting goes over Macho in a bloodbath uh, here, and I I want to see that Flair Sting matchup in the in the overall Final Four of this bracket. Yeah. All right, so you're mainly picking, though, because you want to have more WCW representation in the Final Four. Right, because I know I know on the other end of it, it's more than likely going to be WWF. I haven't – I'm picking off the cuff as we go. I haven't done a pre-pick. I'm just – I'm I'm kind of seeing how it plays out on, yeah. on the cuff here, so. Well, I'm going to look at it based on the match. I'm not going to look at it based on the bracket, and – Gosh, I, I think this is an amazing match. I mean, no you can't you can't undersell the importance of Sting. My only drawback with Sting in the eighties and nineties, and, and you can help me with this, is when he went to that crow character. Hated it. I, I did not like that at all, and really, he didn't wrestle as much, right? If I recall correctly, so I, I think that really hurts him here. Whereas Savage was pretty steady. One, uh, throughout the 80s and 90s. And I know in the 90s, you know, toward the end, he wasn't the same, but he was still a really good wrestler, good heel. I mean, that, that matchup he had with uh, – and the feud he had with DDP was amazing. Um, 
I just think overall, I vote for Savage here. I, I think his contributions in that period were just too significant. And if Sting had if that crow character was like more over as far as more wrestling in the ring and stuff, then I, I think it'd be a tougher call for me, but I'm going with the macho man here and I'm going to use my outside interference card to (laughs) put him over with outside interference from miss Elizabeth, because by this time she had switched to being a heel and supporting the macho man, 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 man. I should have held on to my iron chic, uh, pull, pull out card on that one. But, I, I can be persuaded only because uh, I understand the business and I, I can go with my mind instead of my heart. But it, yeah. uh, the thing is, is I agree. I did not like the Crow character. I liked it when it first happened because it, I love watching wrestlers recreate themselves. But I think that they let it go on too long. I think that they should have converted him back into something different, more close to his earlier self. Uh, you know, when he went over to NWO Red and Black or whatever and then by that time, it was kind of played out, and they were overdoing the whole NWO thing, period. But I'm going to say this. What? I'm going to say this. The Crow character was wildly popular with the kids uh, at that age. See, you and I were in our late teens, mm-hmm. or late teens, early 20s. I have a brother that's 11 years younger than me. They, his, ki- The kids his age loved the Crow character. They, they absolutely loved that version of Sting because that's kind of the one they grew up with, right? So, right. so they, he was wildly popular and I, I would recommend also, cause a lot of people would say macho's longevity and things like that. Sting still had a good career in TNA. A lot of people weren't subjected to that, yeah, but, no. but, uh, he carried the ball in TNA and drew a lot of money over there. So I just want to make sure he gets that shout out, but I, yeah, so we can go with macho on interference. Yeah. So we're going to have a final four matchup of Ric Flair versus Savage that we'll get to later. But I think for discussions of the importance of the 80s and 90s, I do want to talk about the, the Flair-Sting rivalry and matchup because you know that was such a hot rivalry for a long time, and it was the last matchup of WCW. Right. So, All right, so but for purposes of this bracket, with outside interference by Miss Elizabeth, we got the Macho Man going over the Stinger. All right, so... Anyway, I think we probably, you know, as far as the final four, I mean, I think that's probably where our people would, would end up when you had Flair versus Kerry Von Erich and Sting versus Savage, with the exception, I think, that, you know, someone's a, a real Memphis fan. They, they'd probably pick Lawler over Kerry Von Erich. I know our uh, our friend Christian Miscagney would probably make that pick. <laughs> but, but, I, but I don't think you put Flair over Lawler. Maybe I mean unless someone's like a real Jerry the King Lawler Homer, but I, I think that's a tough argument to make. Agreed. That, that Lawler is over Flair, um, and you know maybe someone picks Kurt Angle over Sting as far as just the overall wrestling. But oh, uh, it could go- have gone either way on a lot of these matches, man. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I think the overall that bracket's pretty pretty stout. So all right. So what we'll do right now is we'll take a quick break in the action and then we're going to get back to the second half of our bracket where we are going to talk about guys like Bret Hart, um, Shawn Michaels, Jeff Jarrett, Arn and Ole, Tully, a lot of great wrestlers still left to come in this part of the bracket. So we'll take a quick break and that way you can take a break as well and we'll be right back. <laughs> 